You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. <laughs> oh, hi, Bob. I, I'm on. I'm on Clubhouse. Excuse me for just a second. Oh, that's your iPhone you, there. You, you know about you know about Clubhouse? It's this. It's this I, great app. You can go on and, and, and you can listen to all these people talk. And they have Eric's here and Mark Andreessen and Lev. And it's just so much fun. They're so funny. I'm afraid I'm not worthy of admission, Mickey. I uh, haven't received my invitation and don't own an right? iPhone anyway. Yeah. I'm not saying that you're not funny, Bob. You're funny, but, but you know. Um, anyway, I'm, um, I guess it's back to work. I feel my clubhouse life is so much more vital than my real life. Mickey, does this mean that I should fear that you'll be leaving the podcast for Clubhouse? I don't think so, but there is a my friends are always telling me that Clubhouse is going to destroy podcasts. Ooh. I never understood what that meant. But now and you then, do because you've been in Clubhouse. But now I do because it's like a podcast, Bob, but our audience is gathered around us and they can contribute. They can chime in. So we, some people would find that a better system. Now with our audience, you know, you know, there are there are know. undesirables in our audience. Bunch right? of deplorables. No, our audience is actually pretty good. But you can see where once we get really popular, the bridge and tunnel crowd will come in, and we wouldn't boy. really want them contributing. You know. Um. Yeah, but seriously, you know, we could arrange uh, to do a live stream. I've done those, and people could contribute. We could do a Zoom. People could contribute. So you actually can do all that stuff. What is it that's special about Clubhouse? Can you tell really? us now that you've been there? Um, uh, I think I have a clue, but I'm not sure. I, I don't know. The software oper- operates really well, so you really feel like you're in a room. First, it's not that special. Second, you <laughs> feel like you're really in a room with these people talking, which is very valuable during the pandemic when you're isolated. Uh, and the third is that uh, they have these celebrities, and they don't appeal to me. I basically just go to Richard Rushfield's clubhouse room, which is called People Who Suck, and see all Richard's friends who are very funny. But uh, this I don't is really somebody you know. Yeah, he, he uh-huh. puts out a a Substack called uh, The Ankler about Hollywood. He's a very funny man. Uh, and uh, so, but that's like twenty people, right? But I don't go to the grand ones with two thousand people, you know, and. Mark Zuckerberg start, stops by and immediately starts a competitor to but Clubhouse. But you could go, right? I mean, once you're in Clubhouse, there's no velvet rope you could not cross. There are, there are overflow rooms. So there's like a limit of like 2,000 maybe or something for the main room. And then you get to go in the overflow room. And I guess that means you can't talk. Although hmm. if there are a 1,000 people in the room, how many people can talk? Well, anyone needs permission to talk, right? Anyone who's not on stage? Uh, you raise your hand. There's a There's a... Uh, you click a button and it, you artificially, vi- virtually raise your hand and then the people on stage can see. But there's also this, it, it's like the high school click. It's like, you know, a big shot enters the room, like Eric Weinstein. It's a big shot at some mm-hmm. stack, okay? And then the speaker will say, oh, Eric's in the room. Eric, why don't you come on stage and say a few words? So Eric leaps by the other thousand people and gets on stage, which means he, everything he says is goes out to everybody. And it's sort of like there are those alphas, and then there's a second tier of people who are followed by the speakers. And then there's the third tier of the Morlocks, which is where I am, (laughs) who are like 
Yeah, people who nobody knows, but they just showed up, okay? Um, the the, uh, the drop-bys, the volunteers, the randoms. Don't so, sell um, yourself short, Mickey. I know. Uh, uh, so, uh, but I, that this, I'm so elated by being even in the room with Eric Weinstein that I, I ignore this slight. Yeah, I would and, get, uh, I would get a however you pronounce F-R-I-S-S-O-N if I were in a room with Eric Weinstein. Frisson. Frisson. I would get a frisson. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, but, um, well, this isn't the, it's not the first time I've been dissed this week. Um, so wait, uh, so, so much that, that leads me to want to say, it leads me to want to, uh, talk about how Silicon Valley is, uh, subtly inflicting its values on the rest of us. I mean, what better vehicle than Eric Weinstein? Well, um, there's a, there's a lot of that. It's, it's definitely a bunch of Silicon Valley people. An extraordinary number of them seem to be beautiful women. Hmm. I mean, it's it, you would almost think that they invented fake beautiful women to populate their crowds, sort of like ladies' night at a bar. But I wouldn't ever could make be, that. Could accusation. be deep fakes. Could be deep fakes. Uh, but um, uh, they do inflict their Silicon Valleys on America, and I also don't think it's going to last because uh. It, it, some people are complaining the algorithm is not then serving up boring panels. Maybe the panels are getting more boring. It's like TED. The first TED Talks were great, including yours, Bob. And oh, thank the, you, Mickey. The, then, then it like gradually degraded into like, you know, TED, TED next door or TED your neighborhood. <laughs> like, TEDx. well, they created a whole, uh, you know, kind of second tier local thing called TEDx. Yeah. Uh, so, but, 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 but the, the talks have got everybody given their best shot and then they're left with this B, their B ideas and, you know, it, 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 it goes downhill from there. But there's a lot of metaphysical stuff and, you know, I like that. Intermittent fasting on TikTok, that sort of thing. Um, uh, well, so, this uh, issue of Silicon Valley. I don't Valley- think they're going to succeed. Now, this, this could be, this whole thing could be a segue. To discussing Substack, but let's save that for later. I, I there are some Substack issues that have arisen. Um, okay, and, I'm, ready, I'm ready to talk about them, but I'll, I'll put it off to later. But Just, first, uh, you know, I, I have to ask: Did you get your second vaccine? I did. Okay, uh, and does this mean that you have withdrawn your demand for the governor of your state to step down? Uh, he's looking a lot better, but he um. Well, do you and third, do you think this is why you got the vaccine? Because you threatened to join the recall no. Governor Newsom effort what, if you did not get what, the second vaccine. What happened is the local pharmacy called at the last minute the night before, uh at when I was completely panicked and said, We want to delay you for a day, we didn't we overscheduled. And I said, Fine, and I went a day late and they gave me the vaccine. They were very nice. So and I got a reaction to it, so uh so I, yeah, I, I got, got I had my, I've had my second one since our last podcast yeah. and I, and I had a, a really non-trivial reaction. Like the second day, I really didn't feel like doing anything. Yeah. That's a, for one day. I didn't feel like doing anything. I mm-hmm. slept for 10 hours. That helped. That's a lot. Uh, so, uh, anyway, so yeah, I'm happy with the vaccine. I'm not that happy with my governor because I realized, because he made this, what I think is a ridiculous announcement that, uh, the next Senate seat appointment he gets, he's going to appoint a black woman. Now, and you're against black women, as I recall. No, I'm against dem- demeaning whoever he 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 picks, who may well be a black woman, 
by letting everybody say, oh, she was just picked because she was a black woman because he pledged to do it in advance. It also looks like a quota. Yeah, it was bad when he did it, too. But it's it's. Uh, did he did he promise to no, make a black no, woman? No, he said it would be a woman. And then the George Floyd thing happened, as I recall, and kind of increased the odds that it would not be a white woman. But not not this is you know. this is my emerging picture of Biden is, is he's just the he's just the punching bag for interest groups. He he. He does whatever the people in the Democratic Party uh, who have the power uh, push him to do. Hey, that reminds me. Does he have a press conference scheduled for this week now? Thursday? I think he does, right? A real press conference? Wasn't it? La- shouldn't it have been last night? No, it's next Thursday? I think it's... I, it's on I, a Thursday. Oh, my God. Did I miss it? No, I don't think so. No, I think we it's missed next him, week. We missed him falling down the we, stairs. We, we don't heard play. about it. Did he... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. But did he fall down the stairs? He's he didn't fall to sound all the like... way down. He fell down. He f- he tripped on the stairs and fell on his face, basically. But um, he's starting to sound like Gerald Ford. I mean, but, we we could have the worst of both worlds. Gerald Ford. I don't see what the, anyway that I I don't. That's like a non-issue. Yeah. But, no. It uh, but I felt I mean, that stairs. He could be at this point. He could be a brain bubbling in a jar, and if he passed the stimulus bill, the Democrats would be happy. He did so. You may be aware he did pass the the stimulus bill. Well, the next Uh, stimulus bill. Well, Um, the the press conference is going to be a real, I mean, I'm going to get popcorn for this. I mean, this is going to be like, normally I skip all this stuff, speeches and stuff. It's boring. But this is going to have real drama, real tension, right? Well, um, I guess it will. Expectations are so low that he'll do fine again. Uh, Another person who's who's gotten the bug that Biden can't stand a, a live press conference is Putin because Putin has challenged him to a live debate. He's fallen for the Trump fallacy that he can trip him into some horrible gaffe well, by he, being aggressive. And, and you know, well, Biden, Biden did call Putin a soulless killer. <laughs> I thought just a killer. He called so him a killer, soul- and then he recounted this anecdote, which I doubt is entirely grounded in the truth. Accor- according to which he once said to Putin's face, "I think you have no soul" or something. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm I guess Putin he, said. Now we understand each other. Yeah, I've told that one on on this very podcast before. Well, it's an old it's an old Biden chestnut. Like Joe Biden, like his memory, mine is not what it used to be. So you do have to remind me of these things every once in a while. But anyway, this le- by the way, this just leads me to uh, a sentence that you could find in the non-zero newsletter that will come out by the time this airs, if you were so inclined. It is. If a second Cold War is on the way and future historians try to locate its starting point, this week will be in the running. By, by, the Biden administration accomplished the trifecta. They uh, they worsened relations with Russia, North Korea, and China in a matter of days, in a matter of days, all well, three. Chi- China, they said we might not go to the Olympics. That oh, well, no, good. no, it's a lot. You didn't, you don't know about the big dust up yesterday in Anchorage? No, tell me about it. But I feel we've, de- we've, we've digressed from some topic we were talking about, but it couldn't have been that okay. important. Okay. We'll get back to, uh. No, but I, but I don't to, know what the topic was. So. Right. What was the I've, topic? Oh, it was my flu shot. Anyway. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, Gavin we should digress from that. No, Gavin Newsom, I, I don't like the fact that he, he quotaized his Senate pick. It seems to me it 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 it, 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 it seems like a quota and it's demeaning mm-hmm. to the person he picks. Anyway, okay, we're done with that. On to China, your topic. 
we don't have to go there. We can say no, that. No, I want to go there. That's on my list. That's on well, my list. Well, it's just, it's just, uh, so there was the Putin killer thing, which is, you know, and, and people say, well, Putin is a killer. Well, right. But traditionally, you know, like, uh, heads of state have kind of avoided, uh, personal what, insults when they want to do the MBS. Well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, any number of people are killed. I mean, look, you can, you can, it's a spectrum, right? I mean, all the way to, uh, all the way to Barack Obama, uh, ordering the execution of an American citizen without due process, which happened. But, uh, I'm not saying that, that he was comparable to Alexei Navalny, the guy that was killed, but actually. Navalny wasn't killed. What are you talking about? Uh, I mean, the guy who was, uh, well, the guy, I think he was referring yeah. probably to Navalny because it was a t- an attempted murder of Navalny. Oh. So he would be comparable to Onswar right. or uh, whatever in, in right. this okay. analogy. Sorry. But but I digress. So, I mean, that that's kind of not exactly standard diplomatic protocol to – and I don't know if that question was planted with George Stephanopoulos or they – you know, or what. But uh, anyway, uh, probably – you know, it, it, it does as a practical matter. It just makes it harder for Putin – uh, to to show any cooperation with America in the immediate future. It makes it harder for him in terms of domestic politics to be this guy who was just insulted by our president and then says, yeah, we'll play ball with the Americans. It just, it's just, this is just psychology 101, politics 101. It's why you don't see that much of this kind of thing. Presumably Joe Biden. Biden thought he had to show initial toughness with Russia to please people who he's promised he's not going to sell out to like Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, it had just come out this report that that Russia had worked against him, and also he had to distract from the crisis of the border of his own making. Now, Mickey, we can't. <laughs> that segue ain't <laughs> happening right now. I do have immigration questions for you because okay, we'll as you predicted, the, the the issue's mushrooming, and you are the go-to guy. You, we'll, you we'll should you that. should check your cell phone. It's probably called from CNN right now. We'll get. To, I put it on mute. I'm missing a lot. Yeah, yeah. we'll get to them. But anyway. Uh, but otherwise, I agree with you about Russia. What about okay. what about China and, uh, and North Korea? So then, there, uh, well, North Korea is relatively little. I, I mean, you know, our, our our national security guys did this Asia swing. Um, Secretary of Defense Austin, Tony Blinken, Sullivan, the the national security advisor. So for starters, in in South Korea, they insisted on using the term the denuclearization of North Korea. Instead of the term that that Obama had used and that uh, both North Korea and South Korea want used, which is the denuclearization of the peninsula, because that suggests that latter term suggests, well, the United States might be willing to withdraw the nuclear umbrella it has over South Korea. By the way, my father once had direct command of nuclear weapons in South Korea, which I don't think was known at the time. Um. And he was not that high-ranking an officer. It's kind of scary. But I digress. Uh, that just occurred to me. Anyway, so so that's one of these did things he, where... It did drives he have a temper? My t- <laughs> you might say. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely a part of my father's character I inherited. Okay, uh, you might say that North Korea should count its blessings every day. <laughs> that, okay. Anyway. In 1961. Okay. Um, I digress. The... Um, so but they, they said they, this bad thing. So so it's just and and even South Korea doesn't want us to say this. 
Okay, even they want us to to be uh, apparently willing to talk about withdrawing the American nuclear umbrella from South Korea in exchange for the full de- denuclearization. Was it, was it just incompetent staff incompetence on the part of the no, staff? No, no, it was it was intent, done more intention. than once. It was done more than once. I think maybe they at some point quit using either phrase in some sort of concession to South Korea, but no, they they they. Uh, as they were leaving Seoul in the closing statement, we used the one phrase and South Korea used the other. So really? as is noted in this week's non-zero newsletter, we, we were kind of literally not on the same page as our own allies. Well, this, but- is, is, this is obviously part of the same thing where Biden feels he has to look tough on the world stage for domestic um, policy reasons. Well, it's, 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 I, I think there may be more to it. Look, I think it might be an exaggeration to say, Biden is putty in the hands of Blinken and Sullivan, but I would go so far as to say that Biden is putty in the hands of Blinken and Sullivan. No, I don't know, but I think it, it's entirely possible that a lot of what we're seeing is, A, the actual ideology of Blinken and Sullivan, uh, B, the kinds of things people say when they hope to run for office someday. I've heard that Sullivan has aspirations. Wouldn't shock me if Blinken does. This shaped a lot of what Pompeo said. Um, the, uh, so it it could be, uh, I I honestly, and there are other scenarios. I I don't, I I honestly don't totally, I mean, look, there's also, if you want to turn to China, there's the possibility that they thought this was the smart negotiating strategy is to talk tough going into the thing. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what happened there. This is what led to the dust up yesterday. Some are calling it a blow up. Uh, at, the, at these Anchorage talks between our top diplomats and theirs, between Sullivan and Blinken and their two top guys. Um, so first of all, leading into that, uh, like uh, four days before it or something, uh, Blinken and Austin publish uh, an op-ed in which, uh, you know, we, we uh, you know, say the standard things that China doesn't want said. We we chide them for their aggression and their human rights abuses and so on. China, uh, you know, wants what it calls internal issues let out le- left out of the dialogue. Um, then, I mean, this is totally amazing to me. Uh, like within hours of the like, you know, just like a day before the sanction, the the, the meeting in Anchorage, we we impose sanctions on twenty four Chinese officials. Now that's a nice. How do you do? Uh, and then, um, that was allegedly in response to something, right? Well, sure. But the timing, I mean, come on, right, okay. the, the Anchorage thing is a big deal. I, okay. I mean, this is our first high level okay. meeting yeah. with China. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, that's a statement. The timing has got to be taken right. by China okay. as a statement. Yeah. And then they do the opening remarks and Sullivan and Blinken reiterate, uh, I mean, it's not like a fire and brimstone tone, but they reiterate exactly the issues um, China doesn't, that considers internal, uh, you know, Hong Kong, the Uyghurs, um, and Taiwan. And, and by the way, I think it's kind of a mistake for us to keep repeating those three together because uh, two of them pretty clearly are in some sense internal issues, whereas Taiwan, we don't want to think of as an internal issue for China. They do want to think of. We're almost buying into their framing when we keep repeating this litany of these issues. But I digress. So anyway, he mentions those. And then the the top Chinese diplomat 
you know, just he, he also, you know, uh, complains about uh, China, uh, the idea that they're using force to get their way. And, you know, uh, and, and, and we're standing up to them to preserve the rules based international order and, and fight against the principle that might makes right and so on. And, uh, you know, the the Chinese top diplomat just unloads and like won't stop talking. <laughs> it's like it's like the the limit is supposed to be two minutes, and he goes on for like fifteen minutes or something, and and he says, you know, uh, referring to the U.S., he says we don't believe in invading, you know, through the use of force, toppling other regimes, and so on. And he's right; we've we've been doing those things in recent decades. China hasn't, um, and it gives him a chance to say a lot of stuff. Anyway, it was considered uh, presumably his job was on the line. Well, that, uh, uh, according to Bill Bishop, who does the Sinicism, uh, newsletter, um, the, uh, he, he is under, pre- he has, suffers from a reputation for being too dovish and may have been trying to make up for that. He had an, he had an Adelaide Stevenson problem. Uh, I guess Remember you could Adel- say that. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, he Adelaide was. Adelaide Stevenson during the Cuban Missile Crisis, they were all worried he was going to be too soft. Yeah, uh, at the UN. he was delegate. He was the uh, ambassador to the UN, yeah. I guess. Uh, the, um, so anyway, it's like, you know, we seem to, uh, well, to get back to my explanation, it could be that Blinken and Sullivan thought, look, if we just, if we just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be tough in public. And then we'll we'll go sit down with them and say, we're going to continue talking like this unless we get progress on X, Y, and Z. Maybe they think it's going to be a successful negotiating tactic. It's not impossible, but it is a, a departure from what I would call the norm. I mean, there 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 have been negotiations that were preceded by uh, public pronouncements that were uh, kind of confrontational. By the way, here's the amazing thing. I mean, th- things unfolded, as I said, and then... The New York Times headline is Testy Exchange in Alaska Signals a More Confrontational China. It, it does, the way they responded, does in a way signal that, but still, the headline leaves totally the wrong impression right. about the dynamics at play here. Um, right. um, the, um, uh, it seems to me lecturing people about Mike makes right is sort of a guaranteed way to sort of annoy to seem like the, the a scold as opposed to uh, focusing on concrete things that piss you off. Oh, totally. Uh, it, it's I, an interesting thing. You're saying to a kid, you're behaving badly to versus you are bad. Right. Uh, you know, it's um, we don't like what you're doing with Hong Kong is one thing. You be- generally believe in might makes right is another thing. But I, I, I've been reading uh, something my friend John Ellis recommended, which is a piece from 2019 by John Lanchester in the London Review of Books uh, about China and uh, sort of the ways that it's developing its police state. And it's truly horrifying, Bob. I, I mean, I, I, I was accidentally right when I said this is like nothing we've ever seen before. It's not only did they succeed in, in, in staving off the democratic potential of the Internet, and bizarrely, the one thing that almost pierced, pierced that is their version of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Which was very hard to tame, but now they've tamed it. Uh, they have facial recognition everywhere. Uh, uh, they, they have AI, 
So they can use AI to, to sense when people are using language on the Internet that might actually threaten the regime, as opposed to just, uh, you know, whining about pollution and party lead, local party leaders, which they let happen. Right. Because they know it's not threatening. But when, you know, the, the AI can sense when something's threatening. And the final creepiest thing is the whole system is designed to run on self-control. In other words, its idea is that average Chinese will have internalized these values, uh, never to say anything bad about the party, and they will be enticed by various goodies that the web offers them, and the social credit scores I forgot about, uh, so that it doesn't even require that much authoritarianism. People just obey of themselves. And this is totally creepy. And what I, what I do have trouble figuring out is how does this threaten us? Which I guess would be your criteria. Or is it just an internal thing? The Chinese are in a fucked up well, society. And the if they want to have a revolution, they're going to have to have it. I mean, the answer you get from the people who, who seem to favor a second cold war, which may have just started. Who knows? Um, is that they see China as wanting to impose its system on the whole world ultimately. And so they imagine like more and more nations becoming authoritarian and presumably authoritarian in the style of China. I, uh, I think that's a misreading of China's aspirations. Um, it's like a domino theory. It's like they, they don't, except they don't have to conquer other countries. Other <laughs> countries just sort of imitate its totalitarian I, software. I mean, and, and become totalitarian themselves. I would say China has been much less intent, at least on the surface, than we have been, uh, on in bringing their values to other countries. Like they are extremely pragmatic in their international relations. It's like, uh, I mean, they are forced to be reckoned with in a lot of ways. But so far, they, I don't think they've shown any kind of tendency to want to, uh, bring their ideology to the whole world. It's certainly not explicit the way it was with the Soviet Union. And I would say, if anything, their foreign policy is most notable for the realpolitik, which is to say a kind of values neutral quality. Uh, the, um, there, there was a, uh, an article in The Guardian I also read that said, uh, people who have Huawei phones. Hey, baby. Be, Want to see be wary. And Bob, I think I know somebody who has a Huawei phone. You're looking at it. Uh, and uh, is there that a go. statement? Is that a statement that you have a Huawei phone? Uh, it was a little bit of a of, of a statement, I suppose. Uh, was this this was after Trump had banned? Yeah, it was after Trump had banned them because I had to go to great. It was it's the last model you can, as a practical matter, use very effectively Maybe. in the United States. It's a great yeah. phone. It's a really great phone. No, everybody agrees it's a great phone. The 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 the, the Guardian China expert said you should worry because your data is being shipped back to China. And then she was very vague on how this was going to come back and hurt us. But the idea is that somehow the Chinese are going to use this use this data to fuck us up somehow. Well, I'll tell you one thing. If they're getting the parrot room for free, Mickey, it's time. It's time man. for some tough diplomacy. Yeah, uh, Tony Blinken, let Patreon handle this, man. Seriously. Get out of the way. Let the thugs from Patreon take over. Um, wait, I was going to say <laughs> something. Oh, oh, so it is creepy. It is creepy as to how it hurts us. I mean, I kind of ag agree. There are people who think, you know, well, we owe it to humanity to try to liberate peoples everywhere. Um, it, it definitely is an example of how 
the extent to which state control is possible in the modern technological is it environment is it pop is it it, it it having read your book bob and i know you're going to claim i'm misinterpreting it you're misinterpreting it 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 seems hard to believe that this isn't dysfunctional that their totalitarianism isn't dysfunctional in some sense in other words to make progress in all these areas you need free thinkers you need sort of crazy people who would have bad credit scores, bad social credit scores, and yet, you know, have a brilliant scientist. You want you have to promote them and that somehow uh, getting everybody who's conformist will will be somehow crippling to their attempt to advance the frontiers of AI and defense and all the high tech things. Uh but I only have a what do you think? I only have a vague sense that well, in I think theory, the night that is- should be hard. I think the night is young in that regard. I mean, we don't, uh, we don't know. I would have thought that it would be harder to reconcile, uh, this degree of control of information with ongoing prosperity in a, you know, in many ways a fundamentally capitalist society, even if it's a statist capitalism. Um, but so far they're having it both ways. Uh, I don't think it's, completely clear this is going to work forever. I mean, do you remember how terrified everyone was of Japan in the late 80s? Uh, I was. You know, there was the Jim Fallows cover story for the Atlantic containing Japan, right? Wasn't that on the cover? Well, Fallows was one of the the least... Uh, wasn't he one of the least scaremongering people? I guess he did no, say no, their no, economy no, no. worked. No, 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 oh, okay. no. He's trying... He's, he, no, 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 no. He was not one of the least. <laughs> he said... <laughs> He said we should fight them by being more like us. Right, right. I think he would say he like would that, say he's yeah. been misunderstood by the many people who think he was definitely not one of the least, but he was not considered one of the least. He was considered one of the leaders. I remember the moving Rising Sun when not only were they going to beat us, but they were going to take our women. Yeah, that was like they it eventually got watered down. But um, yes, it, I was scared of Japan, and uh, now I'm sort of an admirer of Japan. Well, but the main point is they stagnated shortly thereafter, and nobody saw that coming. Um, I, I actually I, did. I actually did have a paragraph in my book that said that. Uh, you, you said Japan will stagnate in your 1987 book. 92. Oh no, you said everyone thought in in your what was it? When was your book published? Ninety nine. Ninety two. Ninety two. I they, everybody was saying they have this egalitarian structure. They don't. Uh, you know, they don't. I, I don't know. That, that, I, so predicted you, they, I would predict that they'd become less egalitarian. I didn't predict that they would fail in, in the book. I, there was an article in uh, Harper's on their industrial policy that Kinsley sort of made me stick in the pro forma paragraphs about how, you know, in theory, this system should fail because it's not doing what the market can do. And I went along with that and it turned out I'm glad those paragraphs are there because they turned out to be right. So, you, yes, you're you, right. And you owe it to him. The, um, I owe him a lot. So, just finally on this, one thing, uh, China's top diplomat said in response that I think is true is that th- in response to your question, like, well, what should we do about things about them to creep us out? Now, the, 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 the Uyghurs are another, are another thing that, that is, uh, closer to the kind of thing that, uh, traditionally does draw external pressure. And, and I think legitimately, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, so that's a, a different kind of internal issue, I think, from the, from the generic authoritarianism. 
But in any event, um, what this guy said is the part that uh, is true, I think, is basically said the more you lecture us, the more the people are going to love our leadership. Here's what he here's what he said. Literally, no attempt to smear China's social system would get anywhere. Facts have shown that such practices would only lead the Chinese people to rally more closely around the Communist Party of China and work steadily toward the goals that we have set for ourselves. It does seem to be true. There's a lot of nationalism in China, uh, external attack, things that can be framed as attacks on China, I think, tend to strengthen the appeal of the leadership. Um, I'm not an expert, but I think that's one limiting factor on how heavy hand it makes sense for us to get but I, um anyway i do rec- i recommend this this lanchester article because he he has a novelist's eye for picking out the telltale details like the uyghurs have qr codes on their doors so the computer can track anytime every time they leave their houses and if they leave by the back door that often goes against their social credit score <laughs> So, I mean, uh, it, 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 somebody also should do the great Hollywood movie about this, but they never will because they're all sucking up to China. Hmm. I mean. Now, that's a legit. That's an interesting issue that's been brought up by by some China bashers is, uh, you know, it, it's a decision by American companies to cater to them. It's not like, you know, so I don't know exactly what you do about that. It's it's a huge market, and they control it. There's uh, a there's a hilarious uh, paragraph in this Lanchester piece about Mark Zuckerberg's pathetic attempts to suck up to Xi, the Chinese leader. He offered Xi the chance. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Is it Xi? Xi? Xi. I've heard Xi. more often. Xi offered Xi the chance to. What are Xi's pronouns? Never mind. It's um. He offered Xi the chance to name his daughter. Um, and you know, he, he has a copy of Xi's unreadable book on his desk and he writes about how he gives it to all the other executives at Facebook to read. Um, wait, he says this guy could name his daughter. Yes. She, she refused. She declined the generous offer. (laughs) I name your daughter rising sun in the east <laughs> i don't know <laughs> should have named named her whatever uh, elon musk named his kid uh, it would be less weird than that um so enough about foreign policy i guess well enough about china um, if i have a brain i will put the link to this lanchester piece in the links page on blogging head yeah. i mean finally though i i really think I, I think Anthony Blinken may be more of just an actual neocon than I had totally understood. I think that's part of it. It's certainly he's certainly behaving more of a neocon than you nah, led me to believe. He, and he, I, the, I thought he I'm was sure less neocon's of a neocon very happy with him. You know, there's no Iran deal, and he's doing this shit with uh, China and so on. Um, so I have uh, two other, two and a half other topics: the border, the filibuster. Uh, the the brilliant Biden sales. Do you realize that this we we finished a week of Biden selling his stimulus? Weren't you? Hasn't the nation been galvanized by this multi-city tour? He's gone on the road to sell has, his stimulus. Has he been in Philadelphia yet? I don't know, but 
The reason I don't know is because it's had no impact at all. Yeah, I haven't on noticed. Anybody. He has been out. He's been out. He's of been the White out. House. The week is ending. I think. I think. Maybe Probably. I'm crazy. Maybe the week is next week. Who knows? <laughs> I have. Maybe I have you the should killer, get out more. I have the killer plan for how he can break through and sell his plan. And I'm only giving it to you and our listeners because I know he won't hear it. You sure this isn't bonus content that we should save for the parrot room? Which people who go to patreon.com slash parrot room can I, I'm enter? already in it too deep, Bob. It's, and it's Shit. not. Uh, anyway, the, um, the, 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 the thing he should obviously do is have the key. He's selling all this, the, the, all the sort of, uh, vaguer parts of, uh, of, of the, of the bill, like for education and for other things, you know, the, the key part of the bill is the check. Okay. That's the selling part of the bill. People are getting $2,000 checks. I, I, when Trump sent them out, they were shockingly effective. Why shouldn't they be effective when Biden sends them? And so he should have Oprah, who's his friend, come on with him and go, and you get a check, and you get a check, and you get a check, and you get a check. That would be on all the newscasts. Everybody would know what the message is. For younger viewers, He'd Oprah win. used to do this on her show sometimes. You get she a car. did it with a car, the Pontiac yeah. G6. Right. Right. And he, there were keys under the, under the chairs of everybody in the audience that they didn't know. And they'd reach under your, reach under your seat and you'll find a key to a new Pontiac G6. And you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. So she gave away car, a car to every member of her audience. Unfortunately, the Pontiac G6 said completely bombed in the marketplace. Uh-huh. And in part because it was hurt by this promo. The promo was considered it was like that Bruce Springsteen cover. It was considered over the top, Bob. It didn't. didn't you mean help the Super the Bowl commercial or what? The, the the I I was arguing that Bruce Springsteen's twin covers on Time and Newsweek actually oh, twin hurt covers. Him. I thought you meant the Jeep and commercial. You, and okay, you, you denied you denied it. And I'm saying that the Pontiac G6 promotion on Oprah hurt hurt them, but nobody remembers that. I, I'm the only guy who remembers. True. What kind of car it was, right? Maybe that not. is true, but maybe not. But um. But people do remember, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you get a yeah. car, and it would it would be a fun meme, be a hell of a meme. Okay, be. I be think skeptical. you've really hit on something that makes no sense whatsoever to me. But but you've hit on it. Yeah, you definitely hit on it. We heard it. I think you've hit on it. It makes no sense. Um, that's a condescending tone. I don't know if I like this. You sense that? I may go, I may go back to Clubhouse. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Now that's let's a club you can always hold over see. over me, so to speak, Mickey. It's a club you can always hold over me, so to speak. Get it? Club pun. Clubhouse. Mickey. There's, Mickey. There's this little, I, little I got applause. It. This little butt- see how many people there are? Thousands of people on this thing, and none of them are me. I feel so insecure. And one of them is me, and I have to find find me so I can <laughs> Keep leave scrolling. quietly. <laughs> Keep see, scrolling. There's this at the bottom that says, "Leave you quietly." Get to you, buddy. What? I've got to leave quietly. So I'm leaving my room. Oh, you were in a room? Oh, I hope they could. I was hear in a me. room. I'm missing I'm missing the Zuckerberg portrait drop. The oh. NFT Zuckerberg portrait. Oh, it's an NFT? Hey, now it's that's a phenomenon we haven't talked about. The non fungible token. You know, we should issue those. There's a gold mine. That's a gold mine. It's like merch if you don't have merch. Parrot NFTs. What? <laughs> It's like merge. Excuse me. I've got to go reserve parrot nft.com, Mickey. I'll be right back. You have to have a website that, that our says ship this? has come in. It's too late. Somebody in our audience has already reserved it now. 
I just did it. It's done. There you go. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so okay. Well, um, I I've put down. Uh, this is this is the this is the killer app. We got I've it. Put down. I've put down Clubhouse for now, Bob. But it is always there, as you say. Um. Um. So. Wait. Oh, NFTs. Isn't that it? Do you think the NFT thing is going to last? I mean, I okay. what is it? What is it? It, it, it's, it's it like is a, a way coin? of establishing that you, that even though it's this digital thing that can be replicated with perfect fidelity, your copy is the one and only original, and no one right. no one can take your NFT. They can ha- they may be able to generate an exact copy, but they can't. You know, the huh? NBA is issuing highlights. They're selling little highlights to people, and like you know, there's a lot of highlights in the NBA. They have a lot of games. Yeah. So, you know, but how do, how can you prove that it's you're the only copy? You've got the NFT. I don't know exactly how it works, but the point is it functions like this. So so somebody, in case people were uh, missing tech news for a week, paid sixty nine million dollars for a piece of digital art. It was it was produced digitally to begin with, right? And any copy of it looks exactly like it looks, and yet. The person who's got the NFT version of it paid $69 million. And if you thought that was a lot of money, wait till we issue the Parrot NFT. That's my whole point. This is what I'm trying to explain to you. You should get um, our Russian friend on it immediately. Nikita? Nikita. Nikita's always one step ahead. Nikita did the Parrot Room art, which people can see at Patreon.com. Um, well, anyway, that sort of helps me understand what an NFT is. It's, it sounds like a fad. It's not, they don't, the idea isn't that it's used as a form of currency. No, it draws on blockchain technology, which, of course, uh, undergirds uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. It, it's an Ethereum, I think this per se may be an Ethereum thing. I think NFTs may be Ethereum based, but I don't know. It's, anyway, it's apparently all, all the kids are trading them like crazy. These kids, I'll tell you. But the kids don't have enough money to do the parrot room. NFT. No, well, plus it's adult content. We, we wouldn't have, let him in. We wouldn't we let him in the for, room. We have to sell it to Matt Iglesias. He's the only person who's rich enough to buy our, now, our NFT. Now, you know what Matt did? I wouldn't say to me today, but he did it. Uh, I did this piece in the Nunzer newsletter, which is open. This is not in the paid. This is not behind the paywall. It's a piece. It's a, it's a David Sanger, shall we say, critique, a critique of David Sanger. I read it. It's good. Thank you. I, every once in a while, you know, will DM uh, a piece of mind to somebody I think might be particularly interested, who might have right. half a million Twitter followers. Right. And he so, stole Matt, the idea and, look, and didn't give him credit. I don't want to suggest that I'm not appreciative. Should I save this for the parrot room? No, you're on, you're, <laughs> you're in too deep now. No, he just did the things fine. He tweeted a screenshot from it without the URL that leads to the piece. Kind of a big oh, that's promotional so opportunity. Bad. That's just a fuck up. It's, no, I, I think it, I think he just does that, which is fine. It's just from my point of view, kind of a promotional opportunity lost. You know what I mean? He didn't steal the idea and not give you credit. Oh, of course not. He's got, okay. He's got like fifty ideas for every one idea of mine. He doesn't need to do that. Right. Well, I need to steal his ideas. My and, my and world I will do become... so to retaliate for not including the URL. I'm about my, to steal one. My world has become very Iglesias centric. But I was uh, I was happy to see, and, and we'll get more into Substack later, that his 
deal with Substack, it's costing him hundreds of thousands of dollars. Because if he was just charging for his uh, his Substack newsletter, he would be making over eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And his deal was they fronted him two two fifty, but then they limited his take, so he's right. losing like three four hundred thousand dollars because he cut this deal with them. Ha ha ha! And that helps you sleep better at night. Uh, I would never, I would never feel any sort of Schadenfreude about Matt. Uh, Isn't that he amazing? He did publish a piece on infrastructure, which mm-hmm. was one of my topics, which which raised the issue. That nobody ever raises about infrastructure. You know, infrastructure is like, it's like national service. It's like everybody agrees it should be done. Uh, we, um, hang on. Are we losing you, Mickey? No, I'm having some sort of feedback in my ear thing. I don't know why. Could be clubhouse calling. No, it's me repeating my words back to me. Could be CNN calling. I think there's some leakage in our system. But anyway, um, it's only on this one ear. Say something. You know what the solution to that would be? Cut off my ear or what? Cut off your ear. No, take, no, the, take the thing out of the ear that is, you know, I take did. the one. Yeah. I so, just did that. Instinctively, uh-huh. I just did that. Without you, you gotta, having to tell me. You got to feel for these things. You didn't have to tell me. I did it myself. You think I okay. don't know that? I'll bet you think I didn't know that. <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> He's talking to me. So... so uh, everybody thinks infrastructure is great. It's like national service. We should obviously do it. They're crumbling bridges, crumbling roads. And Iglesias is the one contrarian who says, do we really have projects lined up that are any good? And won't they fuck them up if they, if they do, you know, even, so they will be like, you know, Barack Obama's, uh, trolley lines, which everybody hates for some reason that were funded by lavishly funded by the government. Uh, and it'll, it'll be like the, uh, uh, my favorite prize, favorite example is uh, we spent two billion dollars uh, adding one lane to the four hundred jammed four hundred five freeway, which runs through West Side L.A. and parts of it are hideous. But everybody goes one billion for this one fucking lane. It's still it's still completely crowded. Uh, and that was their number one project. Imagine how awful their number two project was. So mm-hmm. it's um, he doubts that there are the projects to be done with all this money. Hmm. But, uh, but don't, don't you I've get the sense that our country that is collapsing? I mean, look at our airports. Like, I came back uh, from the one time I was in China, which was, I think, 2010, roughly. I flew from their airport into probably, what was it? Uh, was it was it LaGuardia? Some New York airport. I just thought, I just feel like I've gone from, like, a, you know, a modern country to uh, whatever they call third third world countries these days, it's not considered offensive. Uh, Ken- Kennedy is the famous third world airport. I think. Yeah, but this we would have been coming into New York. Uh, um, no, but doesn't Kennedy it seem like there's a, doesn't seem like there's a ton of stuff. Oh, Kennedy, Kennedy. I was JFK. thinking, uh, yeah, um, could have been Kennedy. Could have been Kennedy. Um, the uh, so, but don't you agree? It seems kind of like there are a lot of ways we seem third world. I agree, but uh, I don't know. It, it was an interesting point. But his his argument yeah. was even if we have these third world things, the bureaucracy will fuck it up. I'll, I'll tell and you also, one thing. He also doesn't approve of highways because they're not green. So I'll they, tell you we one. We can thing. do highways, but he doesn't like them. But go ahead, sir. You tell uh, me one thing. One thing that involves a highly regarded DMZ uh, podcast. First, let me say there's a whole new communications technology has been invented. 
Last week, I said, Bill Sher said something on the DMZ podcast, and I didn't understand it. Uh, as it happens, Matt Lewis, the co-host of that podcast, was listening on this week's DMZ, asked Bill. Bill answered. So now I have the answer. I mean, isn't modern communications amazing? Because you said it on this show? Yeah. We Well, I asked the question on this show. It was what related. Was the question? question was, how does this damn... And what, I'm, what I want to say... Uh, Related infrastructure has to do with this filibuster question. The question was, how does, how does this filibuster reform work that would, where you would require 41 votes to sustain it? 41 people to sustain it. And I gather from listening to this week's DMZ that the answer is like, they've got to always have 41 people there. Constantly. In some versions of this reform, they always have to have 41 people, which is much harder to pull off. And in general, it's harder to, it's an interesting point. It, it's harder to if, if you if if the other side has to round up sixty votes, that's harder for them than you know. And if you have to round up forty one votes, it's harder for you because you have to actually round up the votes. People people well, you plus, have to get I mean, people to commit. You'd only have to round up the sixty votes once, get people to show up. You know, but but with the forty one thing, you've got to always have you you got a total of fifty people on your team. At any given time, 24 hours a day, possibly for days and days and days, only nine can be gone. I think that's the deal. It, in some versions, that's true. In other versions, it's not. Now, you sometimes, are allowed, you just, sometimes you just have to show up 41 on one vote. But You're allowed it, to sleep it, it, at your desk, I assume. It still makes a difference if you have to have the 41 show up as opposed to they have to have the 60. I think they should have someone walking around tapping the heads of anybody who falls asleep. Uh, if you can, if you can use sleep deprivation, you've got serious filibuster reform. Uh, you know, the Chinese have technology that detects whether students are bored in class and deducts from their social credit score. Now imagine what that does to a person. Wait, how do they detect boredom? Face I, recognition. AI well, you mean where face. their eye, where their what their eyes? They are can doing? tell your emotion, Bob. They can tell when you're being condescending. This is getting scary. We well, should that, have anyway. that on the show. You anyway, be in deep shit. This leads to my idea. So on this week's DMZ, they were discussing like, so what could, what legislation could Biden get through, either by putting it under the reconciliation label successfully, or by winning over a few Republicans? And I have. The answer. I mean, infrastructure is probably well, considered reconciliation. What? He gets through amnesty. Okay. Uh, you know, well, he, he d- can't get sixty for amnesty, but he can get fifty. I don't know about these intermediate things where you have to, you know, you have to talk, or blah blah blah. It, you know, does infrastructure uh, come under reconciliation? I I'm not completely well versed in the rules, but I don't see why not. Anyway. Here's I don't my, think they're tr- the problem is they can only do infrastructure like they can only do reconciliation like once every fiscal year or something. So they've done it for this year. So they the next bill has to go through regular order, I think. Anyway, I'm just going to say that the one kind of legislation Biden can definitely get through is anything he can call the like defense against China thing. Could be infrastructure. You know, you need good roads. You never know. Well, that's how they sold the original interstate highway system. Right, it was a Cold War thing. Same um, thing. That's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't, I don't like this idea. But if there's one thing you can get bipartisan support for, and to some extent, uh, defense against Russia, but um, 
You know, when I was 10, I saw a movie whose premise was that what we then called the Red Chinese had been digging a tunnel under the Pacific Ocean, and they just emerged in the country. And when That's you a think great about movie. How, was how, it a John Milius movie? What was it called? Damn, Battle Beneath the Earth, I think. And when you think about how strong your infrastructure would have to be to guard against these people popping up anywhere, Mickey, you know? The, uh, the, you know, the, instead of this, like, nor, instead of, like, uh, giving them lectures on Mike Spake's right, they should, they, they should just, Blinken should just completely revert back to the old ways. You could call them red Chinese. And he should show he should have shown this movie Tunnel Beneath the Earth as a you know Battle before he started earth, talking I believe. Battle, Battle Beneath, beneath the Earth, earth. Uh, as, you know before he started talking just go whole hog right have a strong negotiation negotiating position you know I still remember a line from that movie roughly that he could have used uh, no he couldn't have but anyway it was while we've been wasting billions in space they've been putting their money in the Earth or something <laughs> like that. now that's a good Hollywood line. I was hey, this was a t- totally captivated me. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm I am oh. I'm I'm worried that the Democrats are going to change the filibuster. I mean, there it's like a slow moving nightmare. I mean, first, uh, first Mansion says he wants a speaking filibuster. Then, uh, then uh, it becomes clear that the speaking filibuster doesn't do them any good. So then they'll move on to the next thing. Then Feinstein, who said she doesn't want to change the filibuster, they offer an ambassadorship to her husband, hoping that she'll quit the Senate so Gavin Newsom can appoint a black woman uh, who opposes the filibuster. That's the real litmus for him. Uh, and uh, that. so, so that's on trail. So they neutralized Feinstein. Uh, you know, they there are four. They, they're holding out Chris Coons as somebody who might vote to save the filibuster. Well, I've, Chris Coons is. A loyal party guy, and the idea that Chris Coons is going to stand in the way of them getting rid of the filibuster is insane. If what we have to rely on is Chris Coons, we're dead. But wait, hasn't Manchin said no way? I actually kill the filibuster. He could do filibuster reform, but you know when you think that through, it's not that hard to keep forty-one people in this in in the Senate with modern cell phone technology. It's easier than it used to be, probably, to round up the, you know, Pretty the replacement. When you only have forty-one people on your side and nine people are going to vote against you and vote to end the debate, keeping keeping a hundred percent of the people on your side no, in the room, you don't smart. have to. I mean, I mean, the the premise is you got fifty people on your team, right? And you got to keep forty-one. In the- no, on an issue like immigration, there are eight sellouts. There. Are Easily seven, six or seven Republican sellouts. So you ask, only have forty-three people on your team. We should let you talk about immigration briefly uh, before, <laughs> before we direct you to the parrot room. So um, here's a question I have about immigration. So you were right. You were prescient. It's mushroomed into this big issue for Biden. Um, and I have a couple of questions. So. Okay. The the big issue I gather, the most problematic thing for him politically and and a problematic thing from your point of view is um people under eighteen or something, technically kids, arriving without parents and seeking asylum, or or is it just asylum seekers generally or what? The um it the, the key question is people who are economic migrants and really don't have a grounds for asylum, but pretend they do do we want to let them in? 
you know, they have, they're perfectly legitimate to be an economic migrant. And, you know, that's what a lot of Americans were. And if you were living in El Salvador, you might want to be an economic migrant too. So the question is, and, and, and it's, let's assume that they're all good people who will be fine Americans. Uh, do, do we want to let them in even though the immigration laws say no? That's the sort of underlying issue. The key issue now is with the, with these kids coming across the border, we haven't seen anything yet. Okay. There are three groups of people. Uh, and I owe, I, you know, Dara Lind, uh, I listened to her weeds podcast and was helpful. Uh, they're, they're the kids who are, well, first they're, they're single, single adults, mostly male, mostly from Mexico who've been coming forever. And they've, uh, so there's a stream of them. Then there's a stream of families with children. And then there's a stream of just children. Okay. The key thing is Biden is blocking the men and he had been blocking most of the families under a special pandemic authority that said during the pandemic, we just send you back. We ignore the asylum laws. We don't let you apply for the asylum. We just send you back. Okay. He's still doing that for the adults. He's doing it for half the families. Uh, although Wait, which half? What's the criterion? The criteria is that Mexico, when we send them back, Mexico in some states refuses to accept them because they have a new law that says we can't incar- we can't detain, we can't take back kids under six. So Mexico uh-huh. is refusing to take them, so we have to take them, and he's releasing them, okay? And then the third category, which is the uh, unaccompanied children, and many of the women who are blocked just send their children by themselves, uh, uh, the, the, the children, there was a court order that somehow said you can't send these people back under the pandemic authority. And the Biden administration somehow acceded to this court order. So they said, OK, we'll take the kids. And then they changed their mind and said, we want to send back the 16 and 17 year olds. And then the interest groups kicked up a fuss and they rechanged their mind. So it's a little complicated. But the point is, at some point, this pandemic restriction is going to go away and then it'll be Katie barred the door for all these other groups. Plus, it's going to be summer when more people come. Uh, plus, the families and the kids that we are now letting in are getting into the country. They're being detained. We have a bad photo op when they're detained under inhumane conditions. But in 30 days, they get out. And then so wait, and they're home free. You so they phone back home and say, I got in. Come. So this is like the opening shot of a massive wave. This isn't – if this is a nightmare, it's a, going to be a 100 times – the nightmare in six months. So you said when the pandemic ends is when he won't be able to crack down on the two categories? Or, Whenever or it becomes untenable for him to exercise his pandemic authority. Now, if he were Trump, he would say three years from now, we still have a bit of pandemic around. So I still have this authority. Uh, but Biden is going to be under pressure to not use the authority. Now, now here's a question. So your your suspicion is that a lot of these people have only economic reasons to come. And I, and I infer from what you said that that's not considered a legitimate asylum criteria. Not under, not under the asylum laws, you have to be sort of targeted for persecution on account of your membership in a distinct class, like you're a member of Falun Gong, mm-hmm. for example, in China would be, that would, might be an example of a, somebody who would get asylum or, or you, you, you know, you oppose the political party of, uh, of the dictator, or you're a minority like a Uyghur, okay. and you're being persecuted. Or they, it comes from so World War the, II. If you're a Jew, you're a persecuted minority. 
we didn't want to not let them in the way we let them we, the way we FDR refused them or the the they were refused in the run up to World War II. So if they successfully, you know, confined the immigrants to the criteria in the law, the problem would be this finite thing that can't keep mushrooming and 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 that would be that. But it, but your but there are two, there are two two questions like one is do the asylum courts, in fact, let a lot of people who are here for economic reasons in under asylum grounds, even if the law doesn't seem to permit that? And then B, there's the issue of, of course, these people that since you don't have enough court capacity to try them right away, you find a home for them and then they may or may not uh, show up for their right. actual court appearance. Right. There are two points to be made. First, if you, if you tighten the asylum rules to exclude the economic migrants, the economic migrants would still try to get in. So you have to have de defenses like a border wall and detention uh, to prevent them from getting in. And would Biden go for that? Second, uh, the problem is uh, that there are two courts, there are two hearings. There's an initial hearing you get right away. And the core of hearing officers that hear that is a, a basically liberal cadre of judges. Trump tried to put his guys on it, but they're basically people who are very sympathetic. They say 70% of the people have credible fear. That's the standard. So you can go on to the second stage, okay? You get into the country while you await the second stage. Well, once you pass that and get into the country, you've won. Because as you say, you don't have to show up for the second stage. Nobody's going to track you down. If you do show up at the second stage and lose your case, uh, you can sort of have a second chance to melt melt back into mm -hmm. the countryside and not be deported. So everybody who passes the credible fear test uh, or se passes gets in, and 70% of the people pass. Trump managed to lower it. Right, 70% of the people at the border pass the credible At the border who claim asylum were getting in. There was a there was an article by Rich Lowry that claimed Getting into the point of getting a hearing? No, they everybody gets a hearing. Okay, in okay. theory, it's a, like a short, short, quick, like ninety-minute thing, mm -hmm. and and then you get to decide. Then they, then they, the an officer makes a snap judgment: Do you have credible fear? And seventy percent to get into the country, and seventy percent of the people were passing that, and they got into the country. So of course, a seventy percent chance is a pretty good chance. Trump managed to lower it to somewhere in the thirties, according to Rich Lowry, which is one of the reasons the the, the flow stopped. Okay. I don't know how he did that. Rich Lowry has an article explaining how he did. Uh, the second hearing, you know, in, in theory, that's the preliminary thing. Then you go to the real hearing. At the real hearing, virtually nobody gets asylum. Hmm. The, the real judges with the real hearing, which can take a lot longer than 90 minutes, they're very tough and they do not let a lot of people in. Uh, so the problem is, is that people, once they pass the first preliminary test, it doesn't really matter what the second test is going to be. But the real application of the asylum rules doesn't let in anywhere near 30%. So the, it doesn't the, let anywhere near 70%. So the place real volume comes from is people not showing up for their second hearings and being in the country already. Is that it? That That's where the, from your point or, of view, or the Or showing up is. in the second hearings and losing and then not and being then deported. Disappearing. But yeah. so what, what percentage, because you're saying a large majority of people who get that second hearing are told they have to go back. Uh, what percentage of the people who, who make it past the first stage, do you know, do you have any idea, wind up I have staying in the country illegally? 
I know that only like 4% of the people who pass the first stage are ever deported. I do not know how many show up at their hearing. It's a, it's a very complicated question. And the number but, 50% seems to stick as an optimistic but if only seems 4%, to stick in my mind. If only 4% are deported and you're saying only a small minority of asylum cases are granted by the second row of courts, it must be the case that a large majority of people who pass through the first court system, the first, you know, administrative proceeding, wind up staying in the country illegally. That's your claim. Right. That is true. And it's complicated, for example, by uh, a lot of them don't even file for file for asylum. Once they get past the first test, they say, I'm here. So it's not like they don't show up at their court date. They're never to given a court date because they don't uh-huh. they don't so bother to file for asylum. They they're not asylees. They're economic migrants, and they say, "Fuck it, I'm past the first hurdle. I'm in." Hmm. So, um, uh, well, they I've don't count a, in this fifty percent figure. So I've got a it gets feeling very very complicated. And I remember last time I tried to look at it, I didn't I didn't reach a firm. I've got a feeling that if we asked the Chinese government how we could keep track of these people, they'd find a way. Uh. That might would that warm you up to their technology? Well, I know ankle bracelets don't work. Oh, so you've uh, gone through the possibility. People people cut off their ankle bracelets. So um, yeah, uh, the Chinese may have a more sinister way. Wouldn't it involve tracking the face of everybody in the country? Yeah, I, it would probably uh, if ankle if bracelets and things don't work. It might require a comprehensive. Oh no, they. Oh, I didn't want to mention this. It's so creepy. Never mind. Well, no, at at. at um, Giving Good. comprehensive amnesty to people just, of course, attracts more people. That that the, the Republicans, the Democrats proposing amnesty in the middle of this uh, crisis, which is a precursor to a bigger crisis, was a it was like a more cowbell moment, Bob. It's like let's do the one thing that's going to encourage more of this thing we're trying to stop. Uh, so I. Anyway, my lesson. My, that's my, that's my, actually not a very good more cowbell analogy, but my my talk my talk. Uh, why I think Biden promising an amnesty is one of the pull factors pulling people in. Sure, sure, but that just wasn't part of the original cowboy. I mean, cowbell uh, thing. The the, um, the, par- the paradoxical effect of encouraging something you don't want to encourage. That's not part of the cowbell thing. Well, there were already promises of amnesty luring people in, and he offer- offered more amnesty, i.e., that more part. cowbell. The fact that the word more is in is is a solid parallel you've happened upon. Okay. But never mind. We'll figure this out in the pair room, that's for sure. Um Cowbell uh, Bob, I, immigration. I put on my pants one leg at the time and and when I put them on I oppose amnesty. What? I think I, I think I, I, I claimed that uh that uh New York Giants manager John McGraw came up with that. And then that turns out to be far from clear. I don't know who came up with that saying. That reminds me. Another thing I was wrong about. You want to hear another thing I was wrong about? Not wrong about, misleading about. It's, it's pandemic related. We should quickly say something about that and then vamoose. We've already been talking for more than an hour. Sure. The um, I said by way of explaining um, what it means to say there's 95% efficacy – uh, say the Pfizer vaccine, I said it means, um, well, like if somebody coughs in your face and coughs in the face of somebody who hasn't been vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are one twentieth of the other person's. Um, it, it, it is the case that if you say like you and this other person, you, the vaccinated person and the unvaccinated person, 
go live two comparable lives for a week or two weeks or a day or an hour, you know, you are one twentieth as likely as them to get the, um, the infection. The, the, the misleading thing was that, it, it, you know, it could well be that there are extreme kinds of encounters that, uh, that change things. It's like if you inject, you know, the virus in somebody, probably, uh, both of you, you know, it could be that if somebody just coughs in your face. And you're talking about the difference between the first getting one vaccine and getting two. No, I'm talking about the, the, the difference between being fully vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna and being unvaccinated. The Uh-oh. fully vaccinated person has, in general, one twentieth of a chance, uh, of getting the thing as the unvaccinated person. I'm just, somebody pointed out to me on Twitter that like, well, uh, they didn't put it this way, but this was a valid part of their point was that, you know, really extreme things, the ratio may be different. You know, it may be that, that, that they are just overwhelmingly likely to get it, can't escape it. And you would have uh, a 40% chance of getting it. Just an extreme case. Like, like several people surround you and cough for, a, anyway, it's, it's a tiny point. Here, yeah. Here's a, Here's a practical question, drawing yeah. on what something you said a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I now have a second vax, and you have the second vax. I forget. I do. Okay. Well, do you have to wait two weeks for it to take fully effect? And my memory is, it doesn't gradually come in over this two weeks. It actually comes in all of a sudden, two weeks from now. So you can't like go out and about during this no, two-week op- interval. It, it, no, it, you're right. It's not gradual. I, I I described this graph to you last time where, again, it's uh, the graph in the trial, the phase three trials, a graph a graph where one line is the people who have had the vaccine, one line is the people who haven't. And what you, what you get is, you know, horizontal axis is time, Vertical axis is the total number of people who have gotten the disease in the two groups. So, so the line can't go below horizontal. It can't decrease because it's the total number who have gotten it to date. Right. And what you see is that it, it's not really so gradual. It's sudden, but it comes much earlier. You could have relaxed earlier than this was the point I was trying to make to you last week. Two weeks after the first, this was Pfizer I was looking at. Yeah. Two weeks, you know, both graphs are headed up, given the way this was graph was calibrated, both lines are right. headed up at a 45-degree angle until the two-week point. And right. I mean, just like that, just about, the, the vaccinated people, their line, you know, darts to the right and becomes right. close to horizontal. Not quite horizontal, because every once in a while somebody will get it. But yeah. there is a sharp divergence there. And so far as I can tell, you're about as good... uh two and a half, three weeks after the first vaccination, as you're going to get. In other words, and I think there's data showing this. In other words, it's like in the 85, 90% realm already. So, um, and that's the reason that, you know, it, it would actually be smarter overall national health policy uh, for everyone to forego the second vaccine. But it Too was- late for me. Well, well, it is, and, and for me too. Like, uh, I favor the implementation of the policy I rec- recommend at the exact moment that I got the second vaccine. But the- yeah. um. Uh, but it is, we are now seeing some of the perils, I think, of not doing that. The case rate, the death rate is still, is now declining, you know, fairly, uh, smartly, the daily death rate, uh, after, after a plateau. But the case rate is, has entered a plateau. And 
And, and that will have an echo in the death rate, presumably in two, three weeks. And that, I think, may be because the more transmissible variant from Britain has started to spread. Now, that ultimately, these vaccines are pretty effective against, but because most of the population isn't vaccinated, it is getting a real foothold. This is my theory, which I think is consistent with the evidence. So are we going to have to keep taking shots for the rest of our lives when new variants come? I don't this know. This isn't one of them? I don't know. Um, the, I mean, there is... Moderna apparently already has a vac- vaccine ready to test that's, that, that caters to the South African variant. Um, they, uh, they have a vaccine for that. And, and, and the good news is they can do these things pretty quickly. The, the trouble is how long, if we do the testing the traditional way, how long that takes. And I think if, if your scenario turns out to be right, where we have to continue to upgrade, they're going to have to find ways to compress the, the testing phase. And there, there are ways you could do uh, that. Right. Um, a, a final question for Dr. Bob. It's the obvious one. Uh, if I'm vaccinated and it is shown, which seem, I think I've seen some studies that say this, that when you're vaccinated, not only are you immune, but you don't spread it. Why do I have to wear a mask? There's no way I'm going to give it to that guy and there's no to a stranger and there's no way the stranger is going to give it to me. So what good does the mask do? Now that there are, there's actual evidence indicating that, yes, the vaccines not only keep you from getting sick, they keep you from becoming a carrier. Um, and I think there's pretty good evidence of that for now. And I think the truth was everybody knew that was going to be the case. But anyway, your question is now a good one. The um, And I would say the two reasons are, first of all, just, not, just to avoid freaking people out, you know, who it's like you know I was jogging today and I, and and I and I have one of these things I can pull up yeah uh and we have you know and most of the, where I jog very high mask compliance rate because there's a campus where you have to wear your mask on campus all the time right. so um you know and I I I I know I'm not going to give it to them it's been it's been nearly a month since my first vaccine but um but I pull the thing up just so that the, just so that if they're the type to freak out, they won't think, "Oh God, this guy just ran by me spewing things." You know, the right. other the other answer would be uh, norms. Like uh, I was in Germany uh, many years ago and noticed this this uh, strange thing, which is that uh, people actually don't walk when the sign says "Don't walk." Like I didn't even realize like that was legal that you could like not walk when the sign says don't walk. I had been in New York. Um, and you apparently there's the obvious explanation you could come up with Mickey, right? Like this is why there was World War II. But the other, um, the other explanation, uh, apparently if you ask people, and by the way, interestingly, you see this, you used to, last time I was in Seattle, there was a pretty high compliance with, with don't walk rate, uh, there. Uh, don't, uh, don't walk mandate there. Um, but apparently they would say, you're setting a bad example for the kids if you don't walk. If you walk. And, and there the idea is you show restraint for the sake of preserving this norm. So there is an analogous answer with the masks. You wear your mask because when there's a norm that is upholding something, Every time you violate the norm, given the way peer, you know, peer group contagion, whatever, given the way social contagion of ideas and habits works, um, every time you, you violate the norm, 
you are decreasing the effectiveness of the norm. But at some point, when there are only 10% of the people who are unvaccinated, the norm becomes stupid. And the question is, yeah. do we want this norm? Right, but we're not there yet. Okay, well, and that's in what fact, you say. It, well, when no, we I hit, mean, the, when the, we reach 60%, a lot of people are going to be saying, okay, but, but, but for the last few days, uh, a week or so, I think the case rate pretty much ain't moving. And now I don't think it'll, given the, the, the vaccine campaign, I don't think it'll start increasing again, I hope, but, uh, we're, we're not, we're not out of the woods and some places are less than others. And I'm living in one of the places, I think New Jersey's, uh, uh, um, not doing great. Okay, well, I guess I have to wear my mask a little longer. It's for the good of the children, Mickey. Um, Who can actually never get this disease. But anyway. I'm I'm missing a clubhouse on World Sleep Day. How to optimize sleep. Well, if I were you, I would take a nap and head there. No, no, but you have to go to the parrot room, Mickey, which reminds me. Let's do some plugging here. First of all, first of all, what are we going to talk about in the parrot room? We're gonna, I'm going to tell the bear hunting joke. Really? The bear hunting joke. I tried okay. last time. As you know, it didn't work out, but I think I've got it. I think I've got it down. Um, I want to talk about Andrew Cuomo and, and, uh, this, this may get you canceled. I'm going to repeat something from his past. And if you laugh, you're canceled. Even if you laugh in the parrot room. Yes. That's how great and the it facial would be. recognition technology will detect even if I'm mildly amused and cancel yep. me. So I have to really slather on careful. some makeup here. I do want to talk about the Substack controversy. I may say a little more about David Sanger as long as I've written about him and consider him a global menace. The Substack controversy is a hot one. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, I'm almost through the Walter Isaacson book that's very relevant to COVID and is about uh, CRISPR-Cas9, this gene editing technique, and the woman who got the Nobel Prize for that. It's a good book. He's amazing. I I didn't know Walter Isaacson had a new book. That's scary. The Code Breaker. I'm sure it's going to go right to the bestsellers list. I'm sure, oh, sure. There, probably. Sure. It is scary. Why, why, why does he get more done than us? Do you know? Has he uh, met Matt Iglesias? He, he has, for one thing, I'm sure he has a shop. He has an assistant who probably gathers research materials for him. Do you think he's like Bob Woodward? He doesn't even do, write the original. Dra- oh, we'd never say that about Bob Woodward, would we? We don't know I it to be true. It's hearsay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But It's hearsay. No, we, I know, I, I, I'm not even saying that. I am suggesting that perhaps parts of his book are first drafted by bright interns, but I, that's hearsay. Hearsay. Um, the, uh, Th- that's but, uh, Woodward, I, not, I, I not know, Isaac. I don't know if, I don't know if Matt has an assistant or not. It certainly, he making has, the mut- he, he said he, yeah, I think he's hired one. Making he could the hire, money he's making. He could hire us. I mean, he's making, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I'm available. I'm available. Listen. If he needs, I don't know, shoes shined, whatever. Um, meals prepared, ready to eat. Uh, whatever. Uh, it's, it is amazing. And then there's a guy like Ross Douthat, who not only has a column and is a film critic, but all of a sudden he starts a subsect just for the hell of it to promote his book. Uh, so there, we should come up with some names for these overproducers. Mickey, I've got it. One of us should become the assistant for the other, and I have a clear idea about how that could work. We can discuss that in the parrot room, which is and, and which you can gain entry to via Patreon.com/slash/parrot room. This is this is like Charlie Peters. 
you say, Charlie, editor of the Washington Monthly, Charlie, I have, I'm in a terrible bind. I have these 15 articles due for 15 different magazines. And Charlie would say, well, write a, write a book review for me. That'll get your juices flowing. And then you'll do all this other stuff. <laughs> hey, you know, Bill Shear of the hey, to work for me. Bill Shear's writing a lot for the Washington Monthly. Well, the Washington Monthly, is, Washington Monthly is a good magazine. People don't understand its role in intellectual history. We can talk about that in the period. Anyway, um, we should also plug, uh, well, my newsletter, of course, Non-Zero, which uh, there's no danger of me ever failing to do, but your newsletter, Cows Files, your Twitter handle, at Cows Mickey. I, I almost wrote two two newsletters in one week, Bob, That was but I figured that would be too much. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 a serious issue I meant to talk about is the shooting in uh, Georgia, the, sh- the massage parlor shooting. We should what? talk about that in a period. That, that's, that's, uh, that's serious. Okay. Um, okay. The, um, so. could be a long parrot room. Uh, okay. Other, um, other promotion is like, feel free to smash the like button. Feel free to rate and review the right show, which I, rarely ask for it's not like it it's not like i'm always hounding people so you know um uh no uh you don't know so uh anyway sorry i was distracted by the clubhouse notification do you have your parrot around to say clubhouse notifications for us i do that would be really a resounding way to finish this conversation clubhouse notifications that's great content, Mickey. Thanks. I'll see you. We we have we do we, we do have a title for this one. You're uh-huh. already in. You're already in too deep. That's the title of this video. That's what I propose to the person who writes the titles. We don't write the titles. Your wish is our command. Okay. See you. See you there. See ya.